Welcome back to the Sickles and Noise podcast brought to you by ProSound Web. I'm Chris Leonard. Michael, how's it going? Hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> between between you, didn't you and the formalism there, did you? <laughs> no, yeah. You and you and Kyle trying to like throw each other for a loop here. Yeah, so <laughs> it's all good. Um yeah, man, we're uh, we're we're, ch- we're chugging along here. Today's uh today's today's a fun day for me. Um you know, I uh, get to bring on a good buddy of mine. Uh, I also consider him a mentor. Um, he, I, most of my touring days were actually probably spent with him um, as uh, Will Miller. He, um, uh, as of the last eight or so years, he's been uh, Barry Manilow's modern engineer. Um, and then prior to that, doing um, uh, some time with Josh Groban, Disturbed, um, and then, you know, a f- few other various things there. So, uh, Will, welcome to the podcast. I can't believe you left that little bow wow. Ah, yeah, yes, little bow wow. R. Kelly. Oh, yeah, you know. I think he was just actual bow wow when we were there. Yeah, he wasn't oh, little. Right. Yeah, he was just yeah, just bow wow. He, he dropped the lil. I remember that. Yeah. He it was his coming of age decision. Yeah, he had. I think he had literally just turned eighteen when we did that tour. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, well, the, yeah, because him and I were actually like about a year apart, about the same age. I mean, I started you know, about when I was eighteen, nineteen touring. So I mean, yeah, it was it was kind of funny. Were you you were nineteen on that tour? Yes. <laughs> Holy cow. I yeah, I, I started early. Thought that through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Um, I know you and I have you know, personally talked about this, but, you know, I, I, I owe a lot of, you know, what I was able to accomplish from a monitor standpoint um, and just a lot of other things on the road, you know, from you. And so I, I greatly appreciate that. And it's going to be fun to sit here and, and talk more monitors. We, we've, we've, ha- we've had a bunch of... Um, I don't know. Uh, depending on how the release schedule comes out, um, we're doing a lot of monitor talking lately, and, and it's uh, it's good because I think it's underrepresented in the in the in the magazines and and and, um, and publications and stuff. So we're, uh, we're we're making our voices heard. Yeah, I, man. I agree. It's funny. I get this magazine. Which one's it called? I think it's called Sound and Lighting. It's one of those free ones they send you, and like the last six issues, it's like here's lighting, here's staging, here's sound. And I'm like, I guess they can't hear themselves. They just stop. <laughs> like, here's the front of house rig. Here's the PA rig. Okay, next article. <laughs> it's. I was. I think I. I mentioned it. To, we had Eddie Kaipo on the show recently, and uh, you know, one thing I said to him is when I talk to folks, you know, lay people who aren't in the business, um, they have no idea that a monitor mix position exists or that that's somebody's job. You know, and and they're always like really amazed to hear that. And so I, I think it's. You know, besides the obvious lack of glamour, if you will, uh, it's it's sort of like the uh, it's the seedy underbelly of the live audio engineering world, and and it's something that I I never uh, you know as I've said before, I sort of stumbled through it on my own, but um, I always feel like I have no idea what I'm doing when I'm mixing monitors, and so it's yeah, it's doing the club. Been a, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a treat to to hear you know your thoughts now, and and a couple of our, our recent guests. It's been nice to dig into it. I'm trying to kind of grow my confidence in that area, so I am certainly looking forward to uh, any tidbits you share with us. Okay, I, I don't know how valuable they are, but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> I mean, somehow, as Chris just pointed out, I've been doing this for 20 years. Complete, it was you know a summer job, and I'm still, I'm still here. So something is working, whether I know what I'm doing or not. I, so, I can't say, but something so, is working. Yeah. So I mean, you know, we you know we typically talk about people's start. So your your start's a little unconventional, uh, I would say, in that you uh, were a double major of English and psychology from Georgetown University, uh, and held three swimming uh, records at the university as well. So how did uh, what happened? Uh, <laughs> a lot of poor decisions. <laughs> what happened? Uh, <laughs> it's funny because you know I was doing sound in high school. I I was like a lot of guys who do this in high school. I I played guitar. I had a band. And then I wanted to go play in bars by myself, and I needed a PA. So I went to the local music store, and I bought some Yamaha Club Series, Club Series 3. I think they're up to five or six now. Uh, you know, speakers, and I got a PV power amp, and I had a little Tascam mixer I'd actually bought even before that to do home recording on a reel-to-reel. And I was like, okay, let me see how, figure out how this works. And I read the manual. I think it was the last console manual I ever read. But I read the whole 
Tascam manual, and it was great. It explained everything about how a console works. So if you read the Tascam, you know, 604, you're good. I, I haven't read a manual since. So it's been fine. <laughs> um, and I would take it out, and I would set it up, and I'd do the gigs. And then I went to college, and, you know, I brought my PA into my dorm room and had a band there. So I was like the guy who owned the PA. And I remember as a senior talking to the other guitar player in the band, and I was like, man, I, I, I really just like setting up PA. He's like, I could see you like doing that. And I was like, that's not like a, like a real job. And he's like, well, I don't know. I could see you like, you know, just setting up a PA for like a job. I was like, okay. And then, you know, as a senior, I thought I got to get a real job. And I've been doing like local production with a very small sound company in Maryland for about a year. Uh, actually I started right before September 11th. So, you know, a similar time in the industry. And, uh, I thought, well, I'll just keep working for them for a while and we'll see how long it lasts. I'll probably won't last very long and then I'll go get a real job. And I'm still waiting for that to happen. Famous famous last words. Yeah. I mean, they let me wear shorts to work and I can still (laughs) do that. So it's awesome. Well, I, I wanted to, the the reason I wanted to point out the the Georgetown thing um, is and the the, the major uh, well two things one you know your English major helped correct me our whole time of touring on my awful English that was one thing um, <laughs> I think it's pretty good now yeah <laughs> and then uh, your your psychology major um, I think played a big role into uh, being a monitor engineer I, I feel like I mean that's half of the battle uh, if not more than half the battle being a monitor engineer is the psychology side of it. Oh, yeah, I think it's funny. Cause, yeah, so I, I was telling Chris, I listened to the Monitors from Front of House episode. I mean, I listened to a bunch of episodes, but that one was like, oh, man, I have so many opinions on what they're talking about. I have, <laughs> I have so many thoughts. So I listened to it again. I made notes that are in front of me. Oh, man, I love it. I love well, it. Well, just because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I wish. I mean, I don't know how many guys are listening to this who want to do monitors for a living. Two. If you are, go be a lawyer. Probably, probably don't like do it. Three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> find find something else to do but if you insist on on doing that i mean the 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 most crucial thing for being a monitor guy i mean yeah making it sound good i guess is part of it but really is empathizing with someone who is standing on stage trying to perform and doesn't want to think about anything but performing and you have to like put yourself in in their headspace and really empathize with you know not just what they're hearing, but what they're feeling, what they're seeing, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I don't know if I, how much of that I got from the psychology education, but it's certainly a psychological approach that I think is really important. And a lot of guys starting out are just so focused on how's it sound, which matters, but maybe not as much as the how's it feel. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Well, so this is so Michael. This is the first time our guest actually has the notes for us. So, Will, Will, what's next? <laughs> I know. Oh well, I guess well, I guess we should just hand the reins over to you, man. Let's. Uh, this, take- I, I don't want the responsibility. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of responsibility in my life already. Um, uh, I have. A, you guys keep asking questions. If I see something, I, I'll jump in. I'm like, oh, wait a minute! I wrote a note about that. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta bring well, that I, up. I, I'm the. You know, I'm the sort of. I'm sort of just plowing my way through this whole monitors from front of house thing. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until uh, an alternative that is better is suggested to me. So, so, you know, you know, monitors not from front of house is better. It's certainly that's. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Well, I I won't fight you on that one. Um, My, you know, my thinking is uh, the thing I'm challenging myself with lately is really reevaluating these things that are so taken for granted that we don't even think about them anymore. And maybe they should be reevaluated. So, you know, for example, you know, starting to run my reverb sense pre-fader was one of the best decisions I ever made in terms of keeping my artists comfortable, but it sort of goes against everything that we're taught as, as audio engineers, you know? And so I'm trying to force myself to sort of reevaluate these things that I just assume to be the best way and, and maybe should be looked at again. Oh, well, I, I'm glad you said that because there were a lot of things I was quote unquote taught when I started out that after trying it a few times, like this doesn't make any sense to me at all. Why am I doing this? Oh, as, I soon as, I, as soon as I stopped doing it, I'm like, why was I, why did I just assume that was right? Like, I mean, I'm dating myself here. When I started out uh, doing in-ears, it was probably 2003 and the... um uh, I don't know what the phrase I'm looking for, but the the standard was you put an Aphex Dominator in front of your 
transmitter. That's what everyone said. You had to have an Aphex dominator in front of your transmitter. Okay, I put an Aphex dominator in front of my transmitters. Everyone says you have to do that. And after like a week, I was like, ah, what if I don't have it there? I mean, the, the transmitter <laughs> says it has a limiter on it. And I also know that, you know, once it goes red on the transmitter, like it's not going to send out more. It's just going to sound worse. So if I'm running it, you know, pretty hot anyway, why am I putting this other compressor to just keep it hot there? And I took it out. I was like, well, that sounds way better. Why was I doing that? Well, everyone told me I should do that. But that's not always, you know, just because everyone's doing it is not not necessarily a good reason. A lot of times there's a good reason everyone's doing it because it works. But sometimes just because it works doesn't mean something else wouldn't work better. So you got to like rethink it or come at it from the approach of someone who maybe didn't listen to all the conventional wisdom because there wasn't any because in years when I started was still pretty new. Well, I love, I love this idea of, well, I've always done it this way because that's how it's always been done. And I, you know, I think that deserves just about that much weight and no more. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that makes it gospel. And I think, um, you know, well, I've been doing it this way for 30 years. Okay. Well, that, that doesn't mean there's not a better way. Um, and if that's the attitude, I don't, I see, I think that makes it really difficult to kind of move forward or to, you know, innovate in any way. So, um, I think a really good understanding of why things are done the way they are is super helpful. And I also think, you know, uh, that can maybe frame the discussion for when do we step outside of this? Um, so I, I love that. I love these ideas of, oh, I was taught this and I, I absolutely don't do it anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I can't remember last time I saw an Aphex Dominator anywhere except, a sh- you know, on a shelf gathering dust. But it w- at, I'm telling you at the time that was like, you have to put that in front. That's the standard. But the same thing is at the time you had to have a 30 band Clark technique in front of your wedge mix. That That's how we do it. And it works. It works. I mean, it definitely, don't get me wrong, it's fine. But then one day we got lakes at MSI. Chris and I used to work at Maryland Sound together a thousand years ago. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, I don't know, like the lake thing. I know how this Clark technique works. And then I started using the pattern metrics on the lake. And I was like, okay, well, I'm never taking the graphics out again i'm only using <laughs> i'm only using this and that was the you know i was like i'm never mixing wedges with the with a graphic again and i i haven't because i was like yeah why wasn't i using a parametric this is this is so great that's yeah. why i used to love the um oh, i'm gonna sound like such an old guy the uh the pm4000 monitor version had parametrics on the actual outputs on the console and i was like this is great this is like an all-in-one solution i don't even need a rack so uh, something we really haven't touched on from a monitor standpoint is audience mics. Um, so I was thinking about maybe specifically talking about kind of the approach that we took when we did the Groban tour. You know, we're doing arenas and, you know, we had, uh, I think it was like eight channels of audience mics. Um, we did. Yeah. Um, so it, Well, it, there's 20,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we had maybe, one mic per person on stage. You no. know, I feel like eight for 20,000 is not a bad, you know. Not so crazy. <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe, maybe talk about um, you know what what went into your head in terms of trying to design that and the placement that we did and some of the things you did to kind of maneuver them around to make it you know you know make uh, you know the audience come alive for for Josh and everyone else on stage. Well, I mean, the whole idea behind that was basically to make it feel like you're not wearing ears. Which do you get there? Yeah, probably not, but you can get close, especially if you put them in the right spot. And you pan them the right way or mm-hmm. the left way. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people approach things as like, especially, you know, most of our stereo inputs, with the exception of drums, are dealing left, right, left, right, hard pan, hard pan. But that's not how we really work as humans. We work on a, a spectrum of left to right. So if I recall, we had a left, right pair on, we had like these wings that went out to the audience on like, yeah, ego risers. Yeah, yeah, kind of like just above the uh, the dasher, and then we had another pair like mid mid stage, and then a, a stereo pair down front. And then what I think was the most important ones was the pair at front of house. Yep, they were then pointed up the back, and the key was to align them so you delay the front of house ones back to the stage. So if someone shouted from the back, you didn't hear it twice; they just sounded really far away. And then you kind of pan them to about where they really are. And I knew it worked because one day someone shouted from, you know, section 204, like house left second tier. And Josh looked right at him. And I was like, okay, so the panning is right. And that was what we wanted. 
is that when someone shouts, you want it to kind of be in the spot where it is. You want it to feel like it would feel if you took your ears out. So that's how we approached it on that. And I think it, it, it seemed to work, especially the front of house ones, because that really made it feel yeah. like an arena. Absolutely. I used to call it the sound of one hand clapping. If you have an audience mic and, and an audience <laughs> member, you know, like three feet away, like if they don't, if they're not into the show, it can kill it. You want to, you want to hear the room. You don't just want to hear like that guy who's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that, that can happen, especially if you know, you don't have a lot of room to work putting those audience mics. Are, I probably spent as much time placing them as anything, maybe more mm-hmm. because they were how a performance, a performer judged, his entire performance in some mm-hmm. ways, like this whole reaction of the audience had to be filtered through me, you know, apart from what you're seeing, that's part of it. But really with a crowd that size, it's about what you hear. I love that one hand clapping. Cause I've had the opposite problem, which is where you have one very enthusiastic person right near the mic and they're, you know, screaming their head off or, no, or that something like too. that. <laughs> that <definitely happens laughs> and too. it's just like way too much of this one person screaming, Right in the guy's ear. And I so, want to uh, have your baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I had um, one of my artists is trying a new system. It, it's the ASI Audio. It's called the 3D Me. Um, and it's based on the Sensophonics tech, the, the 3D tech that they have, where there's little mics elements built into the, the actual earpieces of the in-ears. And they can mix it back into the pack um, mix with a knob on the pack. And... The cool thing about that is it localizes right, even when they turn their head. So when you're looking at the drum kit, it sounds like the drum kit's in front of you. And you turn your head to the side, it sounds like the drum kit's to the side. Um, and I put it on my guitar player and he was like, oh my God. He's like, I never want to play without this again. And it really made me think about how important it is for them to be comfortable and to have, you know, establish some sort of natural space inside the inner monitors. I think maybe, uh, you know, a lot of artists that are uncomfortable with in-ears just say, oh, they tried them and they didn't like them. I don't think it's necessarily the in-ears. I think it's that, you know, uh, more work needs to be done on, on making sure they have a comfortable space to, to inhabit there. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, again, it, t- it comes back to the whole empathy and putting yourself in, in their shoes. And that's something you guys touched on the last episode. I'm glad that, uh, Chris remembered this because it was something I, I think I probably stressed really early on is when you have ears and you're talking, you really gotta like, you really gotta scoop out tons of stuff from vocal for it to sound weird. Like even right now, I've got one. I'm wearing a, a set of ears. I got one in, and I got one half in, because I I don't hear myself in the microphone. I just hear you guys, so it's very like I feel, you know, really like mm-hmm. like sub heavy and odd. And what I think a lot of guys who are just starting out with stand off on the side of stage. Go, that vocal sounds great. Yeah, you're not listening to that vocal that you're producing. Right. And so it's this it's the same thing with any instrument, you know, those drums sound great. Well, yeah, but you don't feel the the low end off the kick drum, you don't feel the tom resonance is coming through. So a big warm tom to you might sound like a, you know, a super woofy non-attacky tom to the drummer because he's already getting some acoustic energy. So the same thing with with ears. If someone's uncomfortable, it's because it feels unnatural. And you really have to empathize with what they are feeling and say, well, I know how it would feel natural to you and don't get too caught up in, man, that EQ looks really weird. Sometimes it looks really weird to make it compensate for what's happening already acoustically. And you kind of have to get over that and say, but that feels natural to them. Even if it sounds weird to me over here, I'm not singing. I'm not playing guitar. I'm not playing drums. They feel comfortable doing, you know, having that weird, super sucked out eq great yep so on um what are what were some of the you know aside from some of the obvious what are some of the differences you know you did you know a metal band you did disturbed um and it in a josh right and then so i know and with 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 disturbed it was a mix of wedges and ears um and you know josh is it's all 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 ears at least for a period of time um what um what were some of the big differences um you know because you I guess you, you were Josh first before we got to disturb was there was there any kind of, of, of shock there what what did you have to learn what did you have to kind of approach differently going into something so drastically different well you know it's funny because when the first story I did with Josh was all ears second story I did with Josh was all ears disturb was in the middle and when I start again it's one it's this thing like someone tells you this is how it's always been done and so. Mm. Now, coming into a, a, an established band who had gone through a couple guys and wasn't happy, 
I'm going to listen to whoever's still there because they're probably making him relatively happy. So the front house guy's like, yeah, I've always had the, you know, the wedges loud and then the ears on top of that. I'm like, okay, that's what, it, that's what he's saying. He's been here a long time. He did monitors for them before he did front of house. And so I did that for the first night and they were like, mm, no, that wasn't so great. And I went, and I, I thought about it. And I was like, man, yeah, of course it wasn't sound great. We're in a club. The wedges are super loud. I made them. I've always been pretty good at getting some, Chris can attest some pretty vibrant wedges, which I did. <laughs> and, um, and it, it didn't sound great because the wedges were really loud and the ears were, you know, normal, but it didn't sound great. So the next time I'm like, okay, well I'm going to do what I think is right. And I basically turned the wedges off. Mm-hmm. Um, I left the guitar player's wedges on cause he's a guitar player. He only wanted to wear one ear with just the click. Um, he's like, yeah, I just want to like play guitar. I can hear the drums. I can hear it. So, okay. But I turned all the other wedges off. I was like, I'm just going to mix it. They're wearing two ears. I'm going to mix it like I think it should sound. And the next night, I'm like, well, that was great. Okay, see you, see you, and wherever we went next. And that was it. So while they were technically on and they were always out there, like as a backup, because yeah. this is still the PSM 700. You mean days. I had to put all those wedges out there every day and they weren't on? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, it built character. <laughs> uh, second of all, they look cool. You gotta have if you're in a yeah, metal you, band, you, you have to have up. something yeah. to put your foot on. I mean, you literally have to, or I think they they move you to another category on. <laughs> um, and we and we they were always you know there. So if if because again, PSM 700s. Am I does anyone even know what I'm talking about? They were like the second version of uh, the Shore. They had 16 you, you, RF yeah, you channels. You had more channels, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's PF 600. You had two, A and B. But the 700, you had 16. So good luck. You could you could get a couple to work. But they didn't always work, and so they wanted to be able to pull them out in case there was an emergency. But for the most part, they were super, super quiet because the ears were fine, and we were in clubs, so like they were feeling the PA. They didn't need, they didn't need like low end coming back at them. It was, and after that, uh, you know, it, it was easy. I mean, not easy, but it was. It wasn't complicated, I should say. Nothing, nothing easy about sitting at that <laughs> end of the snake. Never. What? Uh, what was your? Um, I guess you probably answered my question since the wages are mostly off. But like, what was what was your relationship with uh, the front of house guy and trying to not you know you not you do damage control and not not have to uh, interfere with him? I mean, it, it wasn't. I mean, again, it, it was clubs. It was loud. It was metal. It, it wasn't like I was going to fight the PA. The PA was pretty loud. Um, and the stage was very, I don't know if you remember, but I mean, the stage, we had an ISO cab for the guitars. Danny, the guitar player had, his cabs were live, but they weren't super loud. Right. Um, so it was pretty much just drums. Drums and a vocal was the only, you know, acoustic sound on stage. So it wasn't bad. And with, with a metal act, like the PA is going to be loud enough. That it's not an issue. It's which is the opposite of Josh, where there were some parts of this show it was super dynamic. We had some like real heavy rock stuff and and loud stuff, but then there were some really really intimate choir parts where it might be just a solo violin in the arena, and that's it. And this is actually from the last tour I did with him, so Chris wasn't there, but it was like a very quiet part. I think it was just him, violin, and piano, and we start hearing this like bang, 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 bang from up in the ceiling. And we're like, oh my God. Because it sounded kind of like when AES starts to get funky. Like weird. No, And we were like, whoa, whoa, what is that? What is that? And then Josh stopped. He goes, what is that? And we're like, oh my God. Oh my God. The PA is about to die. What is it? <laughs> and then someone in the front row goes, it's fireworks at the stadium. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were in Cleveland and the Indians had just finished the game and they shot fireworks. So that show was quiet enough that you could hear fireworks right. from the stadium across the street and we were inside and we're all like, Oh, thank God. It's just fireworks. I thought the PA was about to die. <laughs> and, um, so that's the total opposite thing where you can hear everything. You could hear the curtain track move uh, on the first tour. Cause there were such quiet parts. And that was actually, it's funny. That's one of my notes here. Cause I was talking about, uh, or you guys were talking about the, the gain sharing on, with like a digital split, mm-hmm. which on the first Groban tour we had, a pair of PM1Ds, but they shared preamps and we had separate engines. Uh, PM1Ds, for everyone born after 1990, was this really awesome digital console that doesn't really exist anymore that I personally loved a lot. Uh, so we had the PM1Ds, and this is pre-gain sharing. So there would be times where I have to call it Mickey during a show, Mickey's the front house guy, and say, Mick, I'm going to add 5 dB to the bass preamp. 
okay. <laughs> and I'd turn it up and then he would turn because they had he had digital gain, but it wouldn't track. So I couldn't turn it up without letting him know, or all of a sudden it was just gonna jump up for him too. So I just thought that was funny. We don't have to think about that anymore. But at the time we literally had to be like, hey man, I'm gonna turn this up. Okay. <laughs> I'll turn it down. Um I, I, such I, simple times we're living in now, man. It's like, you know, and I was just talking about this with uh with my friend Jimmy Akabuski on the phone and and I think he's touched on it when we've had him on the show. But you know, it's so easy to get spoiled by what we have nowadays and it, you know, you kind of forget what you had to go through to get that, you know, before we had our our niceties of of the common era. Oh my god, I think of all the racks I used to stack up. Yeah. <laughs> dig in the back of a console and like yeah, I was like, I only have you know, so many inserts. So what am I going to use this compressor on? Or, you know, I, I only have four parametrics. So I got to choose where that's really important. And over here, I'll use this one. And now it's just like, I have so much stuff. It's incredible. Now, how about, how about the transition into Barry? Um, you know, obviously an iconic artist, but maybe coming from what a somewhat similar vibe of show, I, I would assume from, from what Josh had going on, what was, was that transition like? Um, I mean, it, it, they're all they're all gigs. I don't know if it's like so much as a transition. It's just figuring out what works for you know that artist. So f- for for him, I only mix for him. There's another guy that mixed the band, which is cool. It's like one less thing, but it's also really necessary because we have a very I hate I can't say very unique. That's terrible English. We have a unique. You can't be very unique. Um, we have a unique situation where. <laughs> He wears an ear with a big, big port, like much bigger than your standard port, and it only has a high driver. Hmm. And so he gets his vocal and his piano and his MD's piano in his ears, and then everything else musically comes out of the wedges, which kind of works because he's not wearing much of an ear. You can still hear almost like you're not wearing ears. So for that, it's another thing of just figuring out, okay, well, how's this work? What's going to make you feel comfortable? And getting that balance where now it's a very non-traditional setup where we've got vocal and piano in the ears, music and stuff in, in the wedges. And he moves around. He'll play piano over here. He'll, he'll sing over there. We have like three different pianos. So it's just finding like, again, you know, walking around with his mic, talking into it, like what makes him feel comfortable. And I was really fortunate in that when I first started working for him, he said, well, you know, I sing in my home studio all the time and I feel really comfortable singing there. Why don't you come up? to the house and hear what I sing to. So it's great. So I went, I went to his studio, put on his headphones, his vocal setup these had for forever and just talked into it for like 10 minutes, like an idiot, like making all these weird noises, you know, <laughs> listening to the reverb because he had a reverb set up to sing to and like an EQ on his, you know, a uh, little console there just for him to listen to. He just records right into pro tools, but um, he has an EQ that he's comfortable with. So I could hear what, makes him feel comfortable and i in headphones so i'm like chris like you explained in the monitor episode okay i know what my voice sounds like mm-hmm. in these headphones let me go try and make my voice sound like that in these ears and that was eight years ago so yeah. i must have gotten relatively close <laughs> no that that was i i distinctly remember um that was one of the biggest things you taught me uh on on josh specifically on learning learning what you sound like on someone else's on someone else's mic um and then where that really paid off was when we went and did um um like one-off tv shows you're doing good morning america and paula greedy and like all these things and you might not be on your console and you got to dial things that day it's much faster you know to to dial it in and hear it because often on those you're not even getting a sound check and he's just walking in and so it's a it was a very um very crucial thing that that helped for sure yeah and if you can get that if you can get that sound of your own voice very consistent i mean i I feel like you know you you did uh, the josh gig for a while too when i wasn't there i feel like if you got a consistent he was pretty good he was like yeah that's right and he'd just go yeah i don't remember him i don't remember him saying a whole lot of stuff on one-offs about like that voice mm -hmm. didn't sound right because as long as you sound the way you expect you to sound i remember what really drove that home to me was when I first started with him going to do this show called uh, Royal Variety Show. And they had a Digico, which is not my favorite anyway. And I, 
so I'm like, okay, let me set the EQ based on the numbers I know from the PM1D because it's got the same. Okay, it's got a Q. Which hold on. So Mike, Michael, Will, and I had this, um, you know, index card that had um, the, e, uh, the, his oh, the input, settings. Yeah, the settings. So we we had our input EQ for his vocal mic. We had output EQ setting for for his pack, and then we had the reverb setting as well. So like like fifty two, like, what fifty fifty two milliseconds of pre delay. I still remember. Um, yeah, I still remember too. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, anyway, so we had this like cheat. I think card. it was actually 35, but I, I could be wrong. Or whatever. Anyway, whatever it was. <laughs> but it was, you know, we had the cheat sheet card. It's like, that was at least your barometer. Like, okay, you start here, you know, and then, and then go from there. But sorry, yeah, that's... That, well, what's funny is, so I did that on Digico. Now, I don't know if how many people there have gone back and forth from Yamaha to Digico. And this is back in the D5 days, though, just to... Oh, yeah, this is like the first Digico. Yeah, this is... We had just, like, gotten off in a Nova Sun from, in Sweden, like, the day before. Like, this is a long time ago. And... Now that I, I don't really care for Digico, I know I'm in the minority. It's just not, I just don't get along with them very well. And one of the reasons is because when you're doing EQ on a Digico, you have to, it looks like you're doing a lot to not hear, you know, to get a little. And I was, so I set my numbers on this thing and I talk in the mic. I'm like, man, that is not it. Okay. Let me take out more here and add more here. That is not it. I'm looking at like, the whole screen is now whatever called blue, you know, it's like huge cut, <laughs> huge boots. I'm like, that is, and I literally, I literally had to put my hand on the knob and force myself to look away and turn the knob until it sounded right. And, and finally I'm like, okay, that sounds, that sounds pretty close. That sounds right. I look at it. I was like, whoa, that does <laughs> not, that does not look right. That looks so wrong, but it sounded, mm-hmm. it sounded right. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a lesson I taught myself. Like, okay, you got to get out of the whole. This is how it's supposed to be, and deal with this is how it actually is. As, and look, and I was like, that looks like I don't know what I'm doing, but that sounds like the sound I have, you know, for him. And he was fine. So I was like, okay, just whatever sounds right. That's what you do, and don't worry about how it looks. I mean, that's such an important lesson. I think that that. Uh, you know, and I've seen the young folks, the younger generation accused of, of mixing with their eyes more, but I think it's because the older folks didn't have a screen in front of them. So they really, you know. Oh, I love, different- listen, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love my, I love my P1D because the screen was so huge because yeah. knobs are tiny and screens are big. And yeah. I like having a visual representation of what I'm doing. Oh, me too. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I, I think, um, you know, one thing I've done is I took the same EQ parameters and I put them into a bunch of different digital consoles and then I loaded up smart and I captured the curves that that produced and they're wildly different. Um, And so, you know, and you go down this rabbit hole of, well, how are they defining Q? Because that varies from console to console. And so, so the idea is you don't, you know, like you said, don't let your eyes overrule what your ears are telling you is right or wrong. You know, I, I kind of view it as, well, I have more information now. Um, and, you know, one of the things I found was, so one example is on a minus console, the first vertical division on the EQ plot is plus minus 10. So it looks like you're using a lot less EQ than you actually are. And so that's one of those reasons where you go like, oh, I didn't need as much EQ on this desk. Um, a lot of it is how the GUI is laid out. And so it's a really good example of why you should still trust your ears, even if your eyes are telling you eh, that might be too much. Yeah, it's the reason I love it now is because I'm so... Yamaha to me is is so so consistent desk to desk and even I went from a 1D to a PM10 about 2 years ago and I literally just took my EQ settings and copied them by hand cuz there's no you can't like import a file and I put my gains where they were and I talked into them like oh my god it sounds like a like a much higher resolution version of the PM1D like you put an EQ from the 1D into the 10 and I was like that is the same that's awesome so are, are made, you no, huh? no good 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 oh well, it's just you know, because I had to transition, you know, with Barry from the old desk to the new desk. And he's he's not he's not really going to come in and like, well, let's fiddle around with it for an hour or two. He wants to come in and just start working, which is his prerogative. Like, it's his gig. So it kind of had to sound the same. Even though I had a brand new desk, it had to sound the same. And I don't know how other desks work or other companies work. But for Yamaha, I was like, man, that's so consistent. So for me now, after, you know, what, 16 years on Yamaha Digital Desks, now a visual representation is kind of the same thing as what I'm hearing because I'm so familiar with this is how it looks, this is how it sounds. And it, and on Yamaha, this look kind of sounds like this. And that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. At least when you're kind of working fast. 
Yeah, and you know, one thing I found is is my first my first digital desk was uh, LS nine. It was where I cut my teeth. On I love the LS nine. <laughs> and uh, you know, then I would go out and I would work on a bunch of stuff. And I I went back to a venue that I hadn't worked at a long time on the LS nine, and I noticed I was running all my high pass filters up like way higher than I you know than I usually would land them, and I kept feeling like I needed to go higher and higher to get the sound that I needed. Um, and I'm just like, man, I don't know, 220, that seems high, but, but it sounded correct, you know? And so what I did later is I took the analyzer out and I found out that the slope of their high pass filter is a lot less steep than a lot of the other consoles that I had been working on recently. So my kind of ear calibration was hearing that. And so it was one of those things where like, yeah, you are hearing that, you know, yes, that number is high, but don't be alarmed because it's, it's the filter's not as severe. So you're going to need a little bit more to get where you got to go. And so it's another example of that same thing, which is, you know, you got to kind of calibrate your mind for how this desk is laid out and what those filters are doing. And, and don't be afraid to turn that knob if you got to turn the knob. Yeah. Which we would, you know, we would have done without thinking uh, 20 right. years ago on an analog right. desk. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to turn it until it sounds right. I could, my eyes are terrible. I couldn't see those numbers. I couldn't tell you <laughs> what it was, but I, you know, but I knew, okay, there, okay, there, okay, there. What I personally love is especially, um, if you're, it, you know, it's, it's nice for new guys now trying to describe, to describe to someone who's just starting out what a cue is, is really kind of hard to explain. But when you see it, it's like, oh, oh, I get it. Okay, that yep. makes sense. Yep. So in that way, it's it's a it's a really nice way to say, oh, yeah, it makes a lot more sense than in the analog days. We're like, that sounds like more, but kind of not more. <laughs> and that sounds like less, but kind of the same less. Okay, I, I get it. I get the idea. I've, I've seen someone draw it, but it's nice to kind of and that happened with Lake too. You're like, oh yeah, look at that. I can oh I can change right. the slope. That's cool. I can make him interact. Oh, I get now how this is kind of how the interaction works because that's a that's a really important thing, especially with monitors. How frequency when you're doing loud wedges, like everything's interacting with everything, and that's really important to see how that how that works. You don't have to know the math. You just have to know that it's happening, and and kind of get it. For sure. I mean, I have a, there's an exercise that I mentioned and in, 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 I wrote an article about this exact idea, you know, how do, how do the EQs differ from console to console? And one of the things I said was, okay, here's a channel strip. You know, it was in a, one of those old, like, you know, one of those old studio desks with the two sweepable mids um, and, and a high and low shelf. And so your four band EQ and, and, you know, what, what does this curve look like in your mind? If, can you look at these knobs and picture what sort of filter shape you're going to get out of this? You know, can you draw it? Um, and so for me, that was a huge help. And, you know, working on digital has kind of honed that skill where I'm doing a mental association of the curves I'm putting in. And even if I'm working on an analog desk, I'm still mentally picturing, I mean, literally what would this filter look like on the analyzer? I mean, that's a big help for kind of, you know, really going after the, the spots that I, that I want to go after and, and having some good mental context on what your filters are doing. Yeah, because you always know what you're trying to do. It's right. just a way of like knowing, you know, getting more information so you can get there faster. You know, you you know what the sound you want is, and the more you know, it just makes you able to get there faster than just like well, I'll just sweep it through until I find right. it. But you, sure. you can just go, oh yeah, it's there. I know it's here on this desk, and I know I could probably bring it down like this much, and that's going to be close. And especially, you know, as Chris is saying with with josh and with barry I, we do a lot of tv and tv is not like giving you time for anything no. <laughs> like at, ever so i mean i've had shows where we had six minutes to do everything like line check sound check and then you're live so knowing what something is supposed to look like on this desk is is super helpful because you're not you might not get to hear it until everyone hears it <laughs> yeah, um no, so no exactly so, Will, ha having access to matrixes uh, from the five D days, one D days, and now you know PM ten. What um, what, what's some of the stuff that you do with your matrices from a modern world? You know, I haven't used them a whole. I, that's not true. I'm lying. Cause I'm I'm using like eight of them right now. Um, <laughs> but that's so for me. I don't use matrices really for ears for anything that I can think of offhand, but I will use them a lot for wedges. So on the last Josh Troy did, and we'll come back to this because I, I gotta, I'll have to throw a caveat in here. On the last Josh tour, he was where he wanted that I did. He wanted to wear one ear. And this is because we had done this very small acoustic tour on just wedges. And he's like, well, that was fun. 
like that felt really present and like in it, like the audience is right there. So it was like small, it was like 500 seat theaters with like 10 shows. And so he's like, I want to wear one ear so I can hear the stuff I'm used to, but I want to have wedges. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, and we can circle back to how I dealt with that. But what it meant was I had to have a bunch of wedges all of a sudden. And, you know, so I had, I probably had, we had two stages. We had a B stage out at front of house and we had a, the main stage. So I probably had 12 and the only person on wedges was him. So I probably had 12 on the main stage and four at the B stage. So that we had probably 10 downstage spread around and a stereo pair at the piano and same on the B stage, a stereo pair when he stood up and a stereo pair at the piano. So I'm not going to make 14 stereo mixes. That's ridiculous. I made a downstage mix and I made a piano mix. And those are the downstage mix and the piano mix. And then they just got matrixed to wherever they needed to be. So the piano mix on the B stage was the same as the piano mix on the A stage because it was the same mix, but there was a matrix for the B stage and make sure for the A stage. And then you can turn them off, mm. which Mickey was really glad about because he couldn't hear anything when jo- when he was on the B stage. The, the riser was in front of him. It would go up six feet. <laughs> so right in front of his head. And he's like, your wedges, your wedges are two feet in front of me and they are so loud it's like when he is out here i don't the pa could turn off i wouldn't know all i can hear are the back of your wedges I, they were like two feet away from you know and they're they were loud um so when he wasn't out there obviously those get turned off and then another thing and this is actually on one of my notes um i could i use some of my vcas on yamaha i'm guessing other consoles that do this i don't use too many other desks but on yamaha you can assign some vcas or dcas to outputs and I always do that for my wedges. So when he was at the piano, I had a downstage mix VCA. I would duck down 5 dB because we don't need all this extra noise flying off the front of the stage. No one's there. And same deal when he'd go downstage, like the piano players on ears. He doesn't need those piano wedges on. Let me pull them down 6 dB. So that was a really, and you don't have to do that with matrices. You can do that on mixes too. But it's really helpful. Like, oh, my artist is not standing there and doesn't need those wedges. They're just contributing extra noise. Why are they on? Let's pull them down. Mm. But, you know, going to a mute is kind of a bit like that can feel a bit like an elephant just walked out of the room. Like if you just turn off a mix, someone's used to hearing all night, but just shade them down a bit. They don't need to be 110 dB shooting out of the piano if there's nobody sitting there. Yep. No, exactly. I mean, that's that's like half the battle, isn't it? If you can just clean up the stage a little bit. I mean, and that that just you know, then you have less crap coming in your vocal mics and you have less, you know, less crap floating around all over every place else. And I feel like everything gets easier. I mean, 5 dB can be night and day, you know? Oh, yeah, especially, I mean, that tour. So let me circle back now to, to when he wanted to wear one ear. So I was like, okay, well, it's really dangerous. You're going to turn it up. It's not going to sound as loud as you think it is. And he said, well, what if I promise not to turn it up? I was like, if you <laughs> promise, I mean, we had this discussion because I'm, you know, this so at the time I was probably we're about we're almost the same age. So I was like thirty, he so he's probably like twenty nine. I was like, you're gonna do this for a long time. You, you got to be really careful with your hearing. You you can't just if you wear one ear, we got to be really careful that it doesn't do any damage. So I said, okay, so set it where your ears. This was like an actual conversation we had, which is not a conversation you should have with an artist if you just met them. This is something that happens. <laughs> I'm I'm totally serious. There's a lot of things you don't want to bring up on day one because you won't. There won't be a day two, but you can have this conversation after years of working with someone. It says, okay, so put in both ears, set it where it feels comfortable, and then if you leave it there, you can take one out, and I will make it feel comfortable for you on stage. She goes, okay. Now, what that meant was the wedges on stage were very, very loud because ears are pretty loud. But the key was if you stood on stage and took out one ear, it sounded the same. I mean, it really did sound almost exactly the same. That was the whole goal of this wedge system, which is all stereo based and it was alternating stereo. So it would go left, right, left, right, left, right across the stage. Everywhere you went was stereo, piano was stereo. And if you took out an ear and stood in the sweet spot, it was the same level and you didn't have to turn the pack up. And I think that was really crucial for making that work. And it seemed to work. I mean, I, you know, he, I know where his pack was set all the time and I never saw him reach for it during a show. And he never came off stage with like, like Oh, I had to turn it way up. It, it, he just left it where it had always been. 
and everyone else on stage suffered because the <laughs> downstage was it was it was pretty loud. I mean, it was pretty loud to make it sound as present and as full as something that's in your ear. You got to make that, you know, it's got to sound like kind of in your face because ears sound really in your face. Um, but it worked. So, I mean, it, it seemed to work. So speaking speaking of speaking of stereo, you and I were kind of talking about ahead of, ahead of time, and you you had made a comment where you, you realize that you value stereo a lot more than most. What did what did you mean by that? It's it's so important. Something to me in mono sounds fake. It just that's not how we hear. It's not how we move through the world ever. We're I mean, I guess unless you've lost hearing in one ear, you move through the world in like a stereo spectrum of things. That's it's just physically how our ears work. So, for example, Barry has one piano wedge just because physically we can't fit two where he has like a riser. So you can only have one and he's got to be able to get up and get off the riser. I can't have two. So there's one wedge. So you'd say, okay, well, that's mix five, but not, not for me. For me, it's the left channel of mix five and six. So even if I have one wedge, I'm still feeding everything off a stereo mix because I want it to not just be like that summed kind of artificial sound that I feel like mono has. And I can, t- I can tell we have one, I have one mono mix for, a choir just because physically it's easier just to have a model mix for the one song the local choirs on for like they they can deal with it <laughs> but when i hear when i hear a keyboard coming out of that model mix i'm like that doesn't sound real i'd rather hear the left side of the keyboard coming from the left because he's wearing ears anyway so he's going to get a left right image but if you if to me to my ear i mean i'm sure people would disagree but if you have like the the sum and we have a lot of, a lot of keyboards on that gig a lot of some keyboards may just sound very not real but the second you split them apart they sound completely different they sound like an actual instrument so whenever in whenever i can i have a stereo mix and if i can only have one wedge of the stereo mix that's fine and that's just how it is just put it where it should be and and go with it unless you're really missing information you can get away with that most of the time do you find that when you have a stereo mix it means that you don't have to fight as hard to kind of get things to sit where you need them to be in the mix. And you have a little more space to kind of move stuff around without having to get so aggressive with chopping up the EQ or pushing the levels as much. I think that most of what we do is putting things where they belong physically in, but it's, you know, it's not really physically there, but mentally you're perceiving it. Your mental perception of where things is, is most of it. Like people won't describe something as I want it, uh, you know, here they'll say i want it to be like closer to me or farther away maybe they don't say that but that's the feeling like i want to feel like this is closer to me and that's farther away from me mm-hmm. and if you're working in stereo well now you have 180 degrees to work with whereas you're working in mono everything is right in front of you it's louder or quieter but if you can put something hard left and then something you know between left and center and then something center and something over here especially with you know drummers like I, I, someone I saw is like they had the hi hat pan left. I was like, well, that's he's not playing it with this, you know, behind him. It's it's almost in front of him. Like, just kick it to where it is, sit where he is, and put it where it is because that's it's gonna feel weird if it's not if he's hitting it. It sounds like it's you know over there. And and same deal with toms. Guys like pan the toms like hard left, mid left, center. And I was like, well, that's not really how it looks. Like his tom is not actually like you know, over behind him. And the floor Tom is not over on the right side. It's, you know, it's kind of still in front of him, kind of still in front of him. You got to find the space. And from a completely different viewpoint, and Chris will attest to this on the Scream Tour, um, very aptly named Scream Tour. It was like a lot of rap, uh, like like teenage rap. It was like a, like a young, I don't know what you'd call that genre. It was hip hop, but yeah. Yeah, yeah but like, like, Bow Wow, Amari on Marcus Houston. Yeah, it's all like yeah, it was like it was like teen, it was like high school. You yeah, know. it wasn't like hardcore. It wasn't Nas or anything. I mean, we had Pretty Ricky, but that's a story for another time. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> um, so on that, I had I think I put well, we've had probably like eight wedges downstage or six wedges downstage, really loud. Oh yeah, we had, we had, ver- fill- we had ver- yeah the vertex flown side. We fills. had full size vertex side fills. Wow, like ripping, ripping <laughs> like six deep, like six deep vertex. Yeah, levels. yeah. Like Crystal, Chris can attest. Like when I would EQ wedges, people would just leave, like the, the, <laughs> the arena. I'm not, I'm not joking. Like the, everyone just leave for a while. It was so loud, 
And it could sound really like uh, kind of obnoxious in your face. But if you took those, and again, I was still mixing in stereo. I think at alternating stereo pairs. And if you took the, the downstage one and just delayed them just enough to make it sound like they're out at the side, it was the same level, but it didn't feel like it was beating you up. I felt like, oh, it's kind of out in space. Like I hear it, but it sounds like it's it's over there. It's like off in the seats as opposed to like, it's like ah, right in your face. And it makes a big difference perception wise when something doesn't feel like it's just beating you in the head. Like when I, when you have a mono in-ear mix, to me, it just feels like someone's just yeah. hitting you with a hammer in the forehead over and over and over. It's not comfortable and it, it's fatiguing. So, sure. so I, I, I hope uh, one of the big big takeaways that I think that anyone who maybe hasn't been exposed to uh, maybe some of the level of monitoring that, that Will has done um, or, or just even any, you know um, – level of monitoring uh there is nothing about monitor world that is uh set and forget right like uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like uh the, you 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 are working just as much if not more than the front of house guy at times i, I more obviously gets more mixes but uh but you know you you have typically have scenes for every song uh stuff like that like it's not just like all right you guys good cool i'm gonna go check facebook you know like it's <laughs> like, <laughs> that'd be amazing <laughs> that's um, definitely never ever happened um, so, you know, I just, I, I think, I, I hope that that's a big takeaway for people who, who maybe that's not a big realization. Um, I know we're running against the clock here, but there, there is, uh, you know, um, back to the one psychology thing. Um, and this is a, a story that, you know, Will and I both kind of like to tell, I may have told it here before, but I, uh, oh, well, um, so, <laughs> um, so, so, uh, so Will, Will had had to go on a break, um, uh, and, and ha- handed over the Josh gig to me for a little bit um to do some like one-offs like tv shows and festivals and whatnot um and we were still pretty early in that time so you know josh knew me from the year year and a half of, of touring but not as his monitor guy so we're still kind of feeling that relationship out um and um and we we're doing uh good morning america and bryant park uh so it's you know super early in the morning um doing rehearsals and um and doing a sound check like josh is like it's just you know it just doesn't sound right like like no further clarification than that just like hey it just doesn't sound right i'm like I, like I, I it's the know. worst feeling too <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm like i mean i hear like, that now it's just like oh it's not working oh and like you know, sinking feeling. And like Josh is pulling one ear out, which Will knows that that's very untra- at the time was very untraditional for him. Like you know, and it's like okay, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm like, all right, so we get done sound check. I call Will. I'm like, yo, dude. <laughs> uh, I was like, it's five in the morning. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I am like, I'm at, I'm at a point here. I'm like, I don't, I don't know uh, what to do here. Do you, so do you do you remember what you told me? Well, I think I asked you first. I said, you know, what are you on one day? Is it settings right yeah does it sound right yeah i was like okay chris has been listening to this mix for a year and a half if he thinks it sounds right it sounds right just tell him you talked to me and i made some suggestions and and you followed them <laughs> yeah i mean but you're like maybe maybe take a little 400 out of the piano just so you like said you did something to clean up a little bit or whatever and uh and just but just tell josh before the show starts that hey you know i you know you, you talked to me and so sure enough i went went to josh like hey you know i uh i talked to, i talked to will he told me to make you know a couple different changes which you really didn't you just you know that's just what we were saying um and he's like all right cool you know and then sure enough did the show everything was fine and it was that that psychology bit to it that was just it, it comforted him to know that hey you know chris you know chris is on the same page of me and will and this that and the other so it's just it was a you know this is a very teachable moment for me um and uh and at the time i don't think will knew the impact that he had on it um it was just it just the advice yeah i went back to sleep man it was early (laughs) (laughs) but uh it was it was a it was a pretty cool moment i mean it it all comes back to you know as a monitor guy at least if you're doing one-offs as a monitor guy this is probably not as relevant but if you're touring with an artist it's it's a very personal relationship and it takes a lot of it's like any other relationship it's not going to be trusting and easy at first yeah you have to build to it and you you build to that by demonstrating that you 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 want them to be happy you you empathize again i keep calling this word empathy but that's really the gig it's the empathizing with someone who is who is trying to perform and you're just trying to help them get that performance out whatever whatever it takes so you have to show them that you have this empathy You, you want you want it to go well and i think even at that moment you going and saying hey i didn't just say Oh, it sounds fine. He'll be fine. You're like, let me do everything in my power, including waking Will up at 4.30 in the morning to make this work for you. And artists appreciate that. They want to know that you are trying 
even if it's not, even if it doesn't work sometimes, they, they will appreciate that you have gone the extra mile to make them feel comfortable. And that builds in that trust. Um, I always uh, use this analogy that you have like, like this bank account and good gigs are putting money in the bank account. And the more you have, then when something goes really wrong, you can take a little withdrawal. Like, man, I'm really sorry. It didn't go well, but they're like, well, we've had so many good gigs. I'm sure it'll be fine. Whereas if you haven't put a lot of account, a lot of money in that account, and then, you know, a mix stops working, they're like, yeah, this isn't working out. You know, it, but like any bank account, it takes time to build up to it. And mm-hmm. that's all part of, you know, growing this relationship. That's well, a great well, analogy. I, uh, and, you know, yeah, oh, sorry, Chris. I just wanted to say, I think that's a really powerful analogy. And it's something that um, goes back to, I think, one of the one of the first things that we always talk about whenever we talk about modern engineering. And it has so much to do with the trust that you have between you and the artist and that, that relationship. And if they trust you, you know, I'm wording this poorly, but you can, quote, get away with a lot more. I mean, they're going to be a little more forgiving of, you know, missteps or mistakes and, and I think more willing to work with you and try to get those solutions figured out. Yeah. And they'll also be willing to try things that, you know, it's like, you know, we have new technology all the time. We have new microphones, all sorts of stuff is new. If they trust you and you say, you know, I think this is actually going to be a better mic for you, or I think you're going to like this brand of in-ear pack over that one. Like, well, yeah, you know what I like. Sure. Let's try it. Whereas if, if you're, if they don't trust you and you're like, oh, let me, you know, I've had some artists, uh, not to me, but I've heard guys, guys say, you're just trying to tech your way out of this. Because people are like, well, let me throw this at it and throw that at it. And they're like, but you're coming from a place where you don't really know what I want. So you're just throwing things at it and hoping it sticks. Right. You, you got to grow to that relationship. Like, I understand you. I know what you're looking for. And I think this is going to help you get there even better. And they'll be like, okay, let's try it. Not always. I mean, not always. And sometimes like, Chris will tell you, when I find something that works, I stick with it. I was probably the last guy touring with a PM1D in America. <laughs> and I would still have it if they let me take it out. Because <laughs> uh, it worked. It works. Well, Will, I, uh, I, you know, appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, again, just want to publicly say, you know, you know, a lot of my success in my career, you know, as, as a do. Oh, so wait, I, are we running out of time already? This is that's a uh, bummer. Yeah. Wait, I, ha- I have so many notes still down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we should have made it a two-parter. Let's um, do it, man. We'll do it. We'll bring you back. We'd love to have well, you come do, back. This is great. Do, do, you, have, um, do you have another keynote? I got key, a lot of time on my hands right now. <laughs> <laughs> What's, uh, uh, is there something else at the top of your list maybe you want you to? Know, I, got, I got three things that are like just super like just Go tips and tricks. Let's Go call it, it. Tips and, the tips and tricks section of the show before you kick me off. Let's do it. Rapid uh, and fire. I'm, I'm, it's perfect. So I'm just going to make it to bedtime with our son, too. <laughs> so here's an awesome thing that I came up with that was so simple. It took me. That's how I know. You know, it took me three years to come up with it. So if you're doing in-ears, or really any modern thing, but especially in-ears, like communications can be challenging. Everyone's got to pop an ear out, shout across the stage. Everyone who's got a vocal mic in front of them, send all of those to one aux, just the vocal mics, just so you can cue it up. And if someone says, hey, you just hit this, and I call it the talkback mix. You just hit this mix, and everyone's vocal mic is going to that mix just so you can hear them. So in the middle of the show, if someone's gesticulating wildly, you don't have to like find their channel. You just queue up the mix that has everyone's vocal mic in it, and you hear that vocal mic. You'll hear every vocal mic, but you'll definitely hear that one. And in things like rehearsals, that is so it's so simple and so easy and saves so much time rather than oh let me oh the percussion player, well, let me percussion mic, cue that up, and now I can't hear myself. And now that guy's talking to me. Oh, I would cue him up. Send all your vocal mics to one mix that doesn't go anywhere, just for you to listen to. And you will save so much time in communication. It's great. Uh, what was the other thing? I don't like compression. That's it. That's my tip. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think when someone gets louder, they should know they got louder. When someone gets quieter, they should know they get they get quieter. They're monitoring their performance. If you are changing the dynamics of their performance, you're making it harder for them to understand how they are performing. And I thought I was like. I was like, no one feels this way. All these guys have these fancy summit compressors and distressors. And I'm like using one compressor on a keyboard rig that's kind of all over the place. And then I went and had uh, a drink with Jerry Harvey. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's done a few things here and there. <laughs> yes. And we're just sitting there and he goes, man, you know what? I really, I really hate when guys want to use compression and monitors. I'm like, okay, validated. I don't like yep. it either. Yep. And that's just me. I'm just putting that out there. I don't like compression. Chris doesn't like symbols. 
I don't like compression. <laughs> um, and the third thing is is a hardware tip that I think I am literally the only person in America who uses it. I told the guy who sells them what I use it for, and he's like, "Oh, I never heard anyone doing that." There's something called a Coleman switcher. They use it in studios. You may have seen I it in studios. own one of those. Okay, it's in my studio. Yes, <laughs> it, it should nice be in your, it should be in your monitor rig. Because what you do, what I do, is all of my so I you know, Josh is on a mix of ears and wedges. Barry's on a mix of ears and wedges. Nowadays, well, I guess with the with the PM10, you actually can have an A and B mix bus, but that was not always the case. All of my wedge mixes are duplicated on my output because this you know digital. You can double patch them. They all go to this Coleman switcher, and then the Coleman switcher is what feeds my Q mix. So wherever my artist is standing. I push the little button that that's the duplicate of that mix, and I can keep my ear mix queued up. I don't have to reselect it, and I can be again. I can empathize with what they're experiencing. So I'm always listening to their ear mix. He sits at the piano. I push the piano button, and the piano mix is duplicated out of my cue wedges. He goes down center. I push the down center button, and that mix is duplicated out of my wedges. So you're not even. I don't even involve the cue system with my wedges. I'm literally listening to exactly what they're listening to, and I think that helps me put them in a headspace, or I it helps me put helps put me in their headspace better than any other way I've seen of doing it. And as far as I know, I'm the only one who does it. But I think it's great. I highly recommend it. They're not even that expensive. Well, there you go. I I I love the uh, the first one you shared. I think I'm going to start doing that. That's a great uh, little tip. Wait, to- well- all what the, was the uh, first one? I forgot already. <laughs> <laughs> Putting all the vocal mics through an aux mix. Wait, uh, oh, it's, it's so it's so simple, and it's it it makes everything. It just simplifies everything. I was like, why have I not been doing this my whole life? To clarify, your first advice was to not get into this business, but that was at the beginning of the episode. Oh, that's so, oh well, yeah. I mean, that's that's a given. <laughs> and these days, I feel like it's pretty good advice. But what can I say? Well, you know what's funny is the the one of the bands I work with regularly. I run I run ears for them during rehearsal, and I have a mix that's just their vocal mics in place um, in nothing else. And so I will often cue that up just so I can kind of hear them in my ears and make sure everything's okay without having to endure the uh, you know the entire mix <laughs> for for long periods yeah. of time if everybody's happy. See? So so I guess I've I've guess I've done something similar. But when you said it, it made a lot more sense. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense. Oh wait, just one more, just one more. Just sorry, I roll these down. It feels like a waste not to say them, and you can trim it out. No, no, we're good. Um, so another thing with ears, and this is again, it's a counterintuitive thing. Like, okay, what's your what's your typical thing when the front of house guy starts a line check? Where's he? Where's he start with the normal band? Kick drum. You start. Everyone starts the kick drum. That is completely backwards if you're doing ears. If you have someone singing. That is the first thing you should make sound right because everything is going to get in that mic. So to start with something else makes no sense. Mm. That mic is going to be down center. And if you're in a small place, it's going to be close to a lot of stuff. Get that mic sounding right for them and hear what's getting in the mic already before you start putting anything else in because that mm-hmm. people have, I've seen people work so backwards to get this killer band mix and they're like, oh, let's work on the vocal. And it's like, well, that just ruined everything because now everything's getting in. It sounds all weird and different. So that's my other tip. If you got someone singing, that is the first input you should make sound right to everybody because that's the one that's going to pick up more than anything that's happening around them most which, of the time. Which, unless you're working with some crazy prog band, almost every band's going to have someone singing. So it's probably a good place to start. Even the crazy prog bands have someone sing at some point. Or they wouldn't. No, no one, one comes singing. No one listens to that part of the show though. <laughs> Even Geddy Lee, they, they, no, they go. Dream Theory is a singer. <laughs> yeah, that's when you get something to drink though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's funny because that was actually it's the story I had from when I was with Disturb. The band was sound checking. David, the singer, hadn't gotten there yet. Um, he walked in, he puts his ears in, and he goes, well, that, that doesn't really sound right. And fortunately, I've been with them just long enough to get away with it. And I said, well, normally I put a big bald head between the vocal mic and the drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of gave me a look like, you haven't been here that long. Uh but then he, it was great because he walked out on stage. It was, a, it was a pretty small club. He walked out on stage. He stood where he stood. You could see him like think about it. And he looks at me. He goes, okay, fair enough. <laughs> My brother. <laughs> but yeah, but when you think about it, I mean, yeah, you have an open vocal mic that was sitting eight feet in front of a drum kit. Normally has something in between them. And then it doesn't. It sounds totally different. So 
that's my other tip. If you if you have someone singing, start with that because everything that's going to pick up more ambient noise than anything else happening on that stage nine times out of the ten. So if you don't take that into account to begin with, you're going to fight it later on when you get around to it. I love it. Thanks, man. Those that have was been, got some gold right there at the end. There. <laughs> <laughs> when you start your YouTube channel, I will subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have enough going on right now. Well, okay. I, I think I can wrap up this time. This is the third time, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. I, it's, uh, you know, you know, we can do whatever we want. It's podcast. I can go four hours. It doesn't matter. So, um, no, yeah. Just again, I you know, appreciate your time. I appreciate what you've done for me. Uh, it was, you know, it's a shame that we only got the tour, you know, as long as we did together. Uh, I wish we could have done more. Uh, but, uh, they were some of my, my more enjoyable tours, though. I'll say that. And I think you give me, I've told you this off, off the air, too. I, I think you give me way too much credit for your success. I think that success was coming whether i was here or not well thank you well that was very nice it happens occasionally i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> well thank you man it was uh it was really nice meeting you and really great to kind of get to a little a little sneak peek of the wisdom man i appreciate the shower well, and the knowledge on us man wisdom might be a bit far but like i said something is working so if you get something out of this anyone out there something apart from do something else with your life then that's great well, there you go. I I, uh, I certainly appreciate it, and uh, thanks for thanks for coming to talk to us. All right, cool. and uh, check out our Signal to Noise podcast Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs>